We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. I hope you are having a fantastic day. If you didn't hear, I'm sitting in for Seth Leapson today, and he is the man. Hopefully having a fantastic day away and giving us the opportunity to, to chat it up and make things happen. As we were leading into the break, we were talking a lot about what's happening in the Asia-Pacific, a lot of the tensions that are happening by way of this Biden administration that has a pretty wimpy foreign policy position. Really, I don't know if they have one. And then what's happening with the world and the disposition of other countries leaning into the United States, putting an enormous amount of pressure on us, and also nations that we would consider allies and such that are critical trade partners and have strategic value in their locations. With us today, we've got Matt Salmon. Matt Salmon is running for governor here in Arizona, as well as has served as a congressman here. He served as the Arizona Republican Party chairman. He's been very involved in politics here. But Matt, you welcome. Hope you're doing well. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, Robert. Doing great. Hey, it, you know, you have a remarkable background. A lot of people don't know all of the different things. I mean, today you've been the, the gubernatorial candidate working hard to become the next governor of Arizona. But the yesterday and even just your experiences today and in the past, you've had quite an experience in understanding what's happening in the Asia Pacific and some of the trade dynamics and the war of words, the war of trade. And then what's now happening with the nuclear challenges that we're having. What do you think about what's going on with Biden and and what's your take on uh, that, that contention that's happening or taking shape right now? Well, you know what, uh, when we. Uh, end up uh, backing down like we did in Afghanistan and uh, sending a message to a lot of our enemies across the world, whether they be China, Russia, North Korea, uh, Iran. Uh, I, I think we sent a strong message to them that we don't, our commitments uh, don't really mean anything. And uh, when we left, I, I mean, left our people behind there, we, we simply emboldened the thugs across the world uh, to be able to try to, you know, push the envelope with us. And we've seen, you know, with uh, what's going on with China and Taiwan, uh, where they're, uh, you know, doing closer and closer military operations, flybys, uh, you know, with uh, they're in the Taiwan Strait, uh, doing everything they can to, you know, be a menacing threat uh, to the, the free country of Taiwan with uh, Kim Jong-un and uh, his proliferation of uh not just proliferation of nuclear warheads, but now, you know, they were able to successfully fire uh, within the last couple of weeks uh, a ballistic missile from a submarine, uh, and it uh, it landed, I believe, in the Sea of Japan. Um, it it's as frightening as it's ever been in my life. There's a big concern that China will uh, ultimately attack Taiwan, uh, and we have an agreement with Taiwan since 1979, actually penned by Barry Goldwater. Uh, called the Taiwan Relations Act, which uh, says very clearly that if uh, China shows aggression to Taiwan, we'll be there to defend. Um, and the, you know, the Ronald Reagan policies of peace through strength have certainly not been adhered to by, you know, by this Biden administration. It's it's almost, uh, you know, the foreign policy has been a joke. 
Um, I chaired the Asia-Pacific Subcommittee on Foreign Affairs uh, when I was uh, in Congress, and that was during the, the, uh, the Trump, or not the Trump, but uh, during the uh, Obama time. And it was almost as bad of a joke, but at least they took Obama seri- more seriously than they do Biden. Right now, the foreign policy in that region of the world is a disaster, and it's almost like a, you know, when when you used to put a kick me kick me sign on somebody's back. I mean, that's almost what we've done. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at it and what's happening now with Russia and Putin's disposition. Right. Right. I mean, he did the same thing with Obama after he watched what happened in Syria and how. Uh, Obama kept moving the line and he thought, "Okay, here's my time. This guy is not going to take action. He's not going to do anything. So this is my time to shake it up and do it. And I think. And and what you noticed during the Trump time was that these guys took him seriously. I mean, we had a strong military and Trump, you know, uh, you know, with uh, Kim Jong Un, everybody criticized him for opening dialogue. But, you know, you didn't see the kind of aggression. Uh, during um, you know during the Trump uh, administration that you that you're seeing now with Kim Jong Un, he's unchecked, and uh, you know the alliances that we've had to build between um, you know Japan and South Korea and Australia, those are even weak right now, yeah. and so uh, it, it, it we we couldn't be in a worse position. And I I want to speak <laughs> soothing words. I don't I don't want to just uh, throw out a you know a, a, a fire alarm. But the fact is, we're in really scary shape right now. And China, who continues to, you know, grow their military assets, um, building military installations in the South and the East China Seas, um, continue, uh, you know, with uh, their economic prowess. We have got to do a better job uh, standing up to these guys. The one thing that I know they don't respect is a paper tiger. That's their turn. That's right. Yeah. And that's what they see us as right now, a paper tiger. Well, like you said, when Trump was in office, you just didn't mess. I, I honestly believe no, no. he was so committed to the American people, and people don't realize this, that he was going to defend. He's he's the guy that would smack the bully in the in the playground if somebody was getting out of control. And he did it. He We saw it multiple times where he stepped in and he just shook it up. He didn't mince words, and he just took action. And now, like you say, paper he did tiger. from a military he did it from a military point of view, and he did it from a trade perspective. That's right. Yep. Um, you know, he had China. He, he had China honestly quivering. He did because uh, you know they understood that uh, he really meant business. And you cannot make idle threats. The first time that you like, like what Obama did with the red line uh, uh-huh. that he constantly was redrawing, and yeah. well, knock this chip off my shoulder now. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they they watched that stuff really closely, and the. Afghanistan debacle uh, really sent a clear message to our enemies across the world that we're not somebody that really, uh, at least under this administration, we're not somebody that really uh, means what we say. Well, I think it sent not just to our enemies, but to our friends. Because think about the people that helped our military, that were interpreters, all these people that were left behind, and they were just massacred. You know, these people were just destroyed. It's it's kind of like, hey, if this is what you're going to do with your friends, you know, really, can we can, can Taiwan count on us? You know, I mean, and that's and that I think they're banking on the fact that probably not. I mean, right now, the way that well, the, the first good the first message that, that the people of Taiwan got was to watch how we basically just allowed China to run ripshod yeah. over Hong Kong. 
You know, I was there, um, Robert, in 1997 for the handover ceremony, uh, you know, from uh, from England to China with Hong Kong. And they made some very ironclad promises. And that was uh, that uh, China, or excuse me, that Hong Kong would be, uh, it would be one China but two systems. And they were going to give Hong Kong uh, autonomy as far as, uh, you know, electing their own leaders or running their own government. And they basically completely reneged on that. What's really interesting, Robert, is you walk back down memory lane. When Deng Xiaoping, Xiaoping decided to open up China to the rest of the world, he had a, a vision of, uh, you know, liberalizing the, you know, the economy and really following more of a free, free market economy. And the presidents up until this current president of China, Xi Jinping, really seemed to be moving in that direction of we care more about economic success than we do military you know, strength. And so we're going to focus our, you know, focus our gun, our agenda on, you know, really uh, growing our economy. Xi Jinping became the president. Everything went south. He's doing everything he can to take him back to the old glory days of, uh, you know, Chairman Mao and, uh, you know, full throttle communism all the way. And he's been a horrible, evil leader. Um, kind of like Putin, you know, has been able to declare himself the eternal leader. And with uh, with his uh, takeover uh, of China, they've completely reversed course and gone back, uh, you know, toward the old authoritarian. Uh, you know, we were, a, a lot of students of history remember the 60s and the Cultural Revolution where they just massacred all the great minds in China. And what's really frightening is the human rights abuses with the Uyghurs and, and the selling of organs. Uh, with political prisoners, mostly the Falun Gong uh, yeah. there in China. It, it, it is as scary a time as I've ever seen. And we need deliberation more now than ever because China is advancing on all fronts, not just in that region of the world, Robert, but, but all across the world. That's right. You know, they're buying up property and land and, and, and friends yeah. Uh, yeah. all across the planet. Yeah, they are. Africa, Mexico, you name it. Everywhere right. that I've been in, uh, in different parts of the Middle East, they're going crazy, and they're doing. They're doing it. I mean, they're 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 slowly dismantling. But it, people have to understand that the Chinese have intentional, long term planning, and they they hit milestones and they move forward. It's it's they don't have to have this immediate gratification that we look for here in the United States. They know time will be their best weapon if they are smart and they're thoughtful in their approaches. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, we're just about to wrap up this segment, but. Um, Definitely going to have you back again. Matt Salmon, as you know, he's running for governor of the great state of Arizona. And Matt, is there a website? Just might as well throw that in here right now. Yeah, it's mattsalmon4az.com. And it's the word for, not the letter for. Matt Salmon, M-A-T-T-S-A-L-M-O-N-F-O-R-A-Z.com. All right, Matt. Thank you. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and you are listening to 960 The Patriot and doing the best we possibly can. We just had Matt Salmon on, and we were talking about what's going on in the Asia-Pacific and the, the tensions there. If you look at it again, we we don't have foreign policy. If you look at when Kamala Harris is addressed 
and asked any questions that make her think. She giggles and she stresses out. She doesn't have the capacity. I mean, I think everybody has the capacity to learn and get deep on the issues. And I would suggest that she has never gone deep on the issues. She really does not have a formal understanding of. So capacity, maybe. But the the willingness to learn and to go deep on the issues, it's crazy. I mean, I watched Ted Cruz question uh, the secretary today about what was going on with the cages that everybody was accusing Trump of doing down at the border with the children and such and kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And one of the questions was, how many times has President Biden come down to these border control facilities and seen this? And it's never OK, he has never done it again. If you're going to lead, you should probably have perspective. And that was one of the things when we were talking about to Matt Salmon. If you just listen to him, we could have been on the phone with him for an hour and just going into all the detail and the experiences he's had in that region there. And it's a leadership dynamic. When you see these things and you see what's happening, President Biden has to lean into the fight. I say that all the time. When I'm on the radio, we talk to our children to lean in when there's something going on and doing the best they possibly can to make things happen. And, and it's where we are today. So now you see this shift, right? You see the way the, the Biden's behaving. You see the way that the dynamics are happening within the economy, the impact points that everybody in America are feeling. And then what is the transition? Is it really the Republicans? Should they be super ultra confident? And hoping that they have the best possible outcome when it comes to this next election. Do we keep leaning in and saying yes and pointing out? We need to make sure that the policy that impacts people are what we're talking about. Look, border control, right? What is it? You see these millions of people coming across the border. We obviously don't have any border control. There's no security there. What happens on the interior? We have drugs. We have crime. We have other violence associated with people that don't have jobs. Look. If you cross the border, let's say you are a perfect person and you want to live the American dream and you are just enamored. You're going to do everything in your power to get here. So let's say you end up in Tempe, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, somewhere else in the country. Do you have a job? Probably not. Are you hungry? Maybe. Are you in a situation where you may have to compromise some of your values just to survive? And some of those values could be stealing something. Or doing something to try to get yourself to survival. That is purely a survival instinct. So again, it's not humane keeping these borders the way they are. And when you start thinking about border control, there's a process, there's a system in place. Maybe we need to refine it and do what we possibly can to make it so it's more modern so we have control. This whole notion of a secure border to me is wonderful. Because then you can deal with the interior enforcement and do what you possibly can. If you go and you search anything whether it's Fox, the Financial Times, Politico, go to the Huffington Post, go anywhere. You're going to see headline news as it relates to the border because it's emotional. It's people. It's stuff. If you live on the border, you know. If you live in a border state like we do, we have these components of impact and such as we're getting there. So, again, if you have a feeling of what's going on, let's talk about it. But I want to get to one point that I think is is really been one that we've talked a lot about is this whole notion of vaccine mandates and a big push for vaccinations. And I want to ask you a question as it relates to this and get your head on this, because this is where I have a question that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. We talk about big pharma and the impact big pharma has on our capital and on the president of the United States, on governors and state legislatures, you name it. They're in their lobby and they're spending tons of money doing what they possibly can to get things happening. 
So we get this push, this like incredible push from our President Trump, who gets these vaccinations so they're available to all the Americans. He's uh, he doesn't get reelected. Biden comes in, carries on the infrastructure that Trump put in place and is working hard to get people vaccinated. Now, the push is where I get a little uncomfortable about the extreme push. Okay, so just today I heard a story about uh, one of my friends who has a staff person working for them who she has um, she's fighting cancer. And so her immune system is challenged right now. Right. She if she gets if she gets covid, it might not be a fantastic outcome because of the clotting issues and stuff with her lungs. And then with her illness, it's kind of a double whammy. Okay, that will hit her and hurt her. So this staff person, it goes home. Their entire family has covid. All of them have been vaccinated prior to catching covid. Okay, so no, I'm not saying that we've heard this story before, but what I'm saying is you hear Fauci and you hear Biden, you hear Kamala and you hear all these other leaders saying, if you just get vaccinated, it's going to stop this thing. Well, it's moving. It's shaking. Right. It's like the flu, the, the, the variants and the strange change. And and here we go. You know, we see all these things happen. But why the push? Now you see Biden. Biden's on TV again today. And he not just the vaccine mandates to say, hey. You've got to get vaccinated. All these companies have to do this. And we're going to mandate, mandate. You see these local and state governments doing this. And you just see all this stuff pushing through. And you go, what the heck? And now he's coming out saying that uh, the Biden administration is expected to begin the process of expanding the booster authorization, all doubts, and making it a mandate for the booster, for heaven's sakes. Okay. The science, in my mind, is still out, okay, because um, we were confident this was going to solve the universal problem of people catching COVID. It's not. It hasn't. It's slowed down, but now we're seeing a spike again, and I think the spike has to do with the cooler weather. Quite honestly, people are in tighter. They're in closed doors more. They're spending more time in confined areas. But the flu has seasons, right? So here we are. So when you think about this mandate, and now, again, you may be a person there that says, hey, Constitution, freedom, privacy, don't tell me what to do with my body, blah, blah, blah. And I'm I'm with you, okay, on this. You have other people that say, wait a minute, my family could be compromised. I'm supportive of the mandates. I have very conservative friends that are supporting these mandates. And my head explodes. I'm like, how can you do this? You know, like you, you don't want to just use the Constitution, right? People use the Constitution when it's convenient, right? They make that argument. And then when it's not convenient, it's okay to bend it. Okay, this is something that's intimate and personal. And some of you may have had some very intimate and personal experiences. I've had multiple people in my household. Again, I have six kids and a sweet wife that I've been married to for 24 years. I have a great company, ROI Global Partners. And you may, um, all the staff there, uh, know that I love them to death and I care deeply about them. But we've had multiple fan members of our business that have had COVID as well. One just found out uh, another family member has it. And it's a challenge, right? So it's been there. It's real. It's tangible. Everybody's going to address this in very different ways. But when you look at the mandates and you start thinking about this, let me ask you something. Is Big Pharma profiting from this? Okay. Now, Pfizer's pushing hard for this emergency pill that's coming out. They want to get emergency action. They want it to be classified as emergency relief so they can get their pills out faster. Okay, this again with not FDA approval, but they want to get these pills out that supposedly help people recover faster. Now, we did that with these vaccines. We saw Johnson and Johnson. I don't know why it's still legal. It's still impacting people and hurting people. But you have these other vaccinations. How much money? 
are these drug companies making? When we come back from the break, I think it might blow your mind a little bit about the profiteering that's happening here. Now, again, if you make a product that has high value and it gives people something, amen. But is this really protecting us the way that we're being promised? And are these profits, these unimaginable profits, are they deserved? We'll be back after the break. You tell me. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. You're listening to 960 The Patriot, sitting in for Seth Leapson. And wow, you know, we're doing some numbers and some math here as it relates to it. Now, let me, let me uh, as far as this big pharma making a few bucks. So let me suggest something to you. This is how we live our life, and this is the way I think all of us live. Price is only an issue in the absence of value. Okay, another way to say it, if it's valuable to you, you will pay whatever, right, to get it. If you really think it's going to have tremendous value for you, I'm okay with that. If you create an ice cream brand called Haagen-Dazs and you mark it up because you its appearance and its taste and everything is better to somebody, that's okay. That's an entrepreneurial dynamic there. They're going to try to push to the market and get whatever, okay? And if it's Ben and Jerry's, don't talk to me anymore because I don't like those liberal slugs at all, okay? But... The whole thing is if you have value in the product or service, people pay for something that's valuable to them, right? And so when you think about this, when you're getting forced into a product or service, do you have a choice on the value? One of the things that I cannot stand is when I go out to dinner and I have a party, let's say it's 12 people that were there. At the end of the day, we get mediocre service, whatever. Let's say it's great service, but let's just whatever. I get the check, and what do they do? They put an automatic gratuity if it's parties over 10, typically on the bill. I'm like, why would you assume that I'm going to give you that tip, okay? I mean, it's, it's, it's what do you do? You feel badly for that person? You take that away from me. Many times, most times, I would have probably tipped more than what they did with the automatic gratuity, but I won't do that. Because they take that right away from me, okay? So, again, it's this value proposition, right? If I'm being forced, well, hey, if I'm forced, I'm forced. Now you start looking at these mandates and you look at what's happening to push. I mean, the incredible public campaign. Now, again, COVID's terrible. We get it, okay? It's rolled through our world and it's killed people we know. It's maimed people we know. It's hurt people and it's disrupted every aspect of life. I have lots and lots of friends in India that were killed, by COVID. I have people that I love that have been impacted with their family members in this country and other countries. It is terrible. That being said, the push is blowing my mind right now. But Pfizer, Bio, BioNTech, and Moderna, just in your mind right now, just take a guess at how profitable these companies are right now. Let you think about it. They make $1,000 profit every second, okay? Now, if I am putting that vaccine together, man, I'm getting my people to rush. I'm trying to get it as safe as I possibly can. I want to be first to market, and I want to have an expression. The Pfizer and Moderna have been pushed hard, right? And they're doing what they're doing. They're being pushed really hard to get out there. Now, they've got a pill that they want to be expedited that supposedly will help COVID people from either ending up in the hospital or get them out of the hospital before they end up in a ventilator or something like that. Again, if the values there and they legitimately work, great. But we haven't even had time to test these things. 
Okay, so a thousand, just to put it in perspective, that's about a billion dollars in profit every 11 days. Right, Bill? That's what we figured out? Yep. So you look at this and you think, hey, okay, again, if, if the value's there, amen. But when my mother, who's been vaccinated when it first came out, 81, almost 81 years old now, she ends up in the hospital with COVID. Okay, she got sick. They test her. She's got COVID. All right. She's had the antibodies. She's had all the stuff. COVID. Okay. So is the value really there? Maybe it lessened the symptoms for her. We don't know. We can assume a whole bunch, but we really don't know how each of us and our genetic makeup will take this and consume this. But this is a hot topic. Again, we don't all agree. And some of us are way more intense about this and some are not so intense about us. But anybody that thinks that COVID was a scam, I, I think you need to you know, rethink that because I've seen some people really, really sick and really, really hurt. But as it relates to the impact points and what's happening with Big Pharma, all the solutions that happen, everybody just says the only way to solve this is get another shot, get another shot, get another shot. Oh, take the IV. Here's a pill now you need to ingest. So you've got to question the legitimacy of a number of things when you look at this. Now, again, I don't have any problem with a company, an individual profiting from a great service or product. But when you start looking at the machine and lobby dynamics that are happening and the push, it's like having to pay that gratuity when you have mediocre service. Look, I'm getting pushed. You're getting pushed into a product that isn't really working. Do we know? Maybe it's just the strange change that we're, and a lot of us have been sick from this darn thing and it's not impacting us the same anymore. And that's why things are lessening. Who knows? We never really, 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 really will find the answer to that question. But again, be educated, be smart about this. If you want the vaccination, do it. If you don't want it, don't do it. It's your choice. It's your body. It's your mind. And, and it's where you are as it relates to your family and the outcome. So again, I respect people for pushing hard for masks and vaccinations because their world mandates it in, in the sense of their family. And those that don't want to, I respect them as well. Again, this is Robert Graham. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and you're listening to 960 The Patriot. I was just listening to the song, and it said 1989, and it talked about long hair. I was uh, the mullet guy, right? I think a few people might have been that in 89, and I graduated high school in 90. I can't believe it's been that long. I used to say that, and people go, oh, you're so young. Now people are like, oh, you're kind of getting older now, and it's getting there. But that being said, I want to keep on this economy thing a little bit and what's happening, okay? So... We talk about the vaccine, the vaccine mandates, right? <clears throat> and we talk about COVID, the impact point of COVID, the lockdowns. I mean, look, I, I can't find, I have a hard time pointing at any one government leader, especially at the beginning of COVID, when they didn't know what to do. Was this going to wipe out our population? I mean, there was a lot of considerations here and nobody knew. There was no crisis management for a thing called COVID because nothing like this had really happened. I mean, you had the Spanish flu, but when was that? 1918, 19, between 1914, 1918, what have you? And you look at that and you see what happened. And they did stuff, but didn't have the technology, didn't have the information sharing capabilities that we have today and such. So you have all these governors, you have these local leaders, you have law enforcement, you have everybody. I was on President Trump's critical infrastructure team, and I, twice a week I was on a conference call. And I would listen to what was happening because the goal was to keep the supply chains open. There were some governors, and you weren't all made aware of every single thing that was happening, but some governors would block 
semi trucks from like, let's say, Arizona to go into New Mexico or Arizona to go into New York. And they did this. And, and literally the White House was on the phone with everybody saying, you better do that. You're breaking the law by blocking it. You talk about paper shortages and the toilet paper, all that stuff that we we kind of had happen to us. A lot of this and there were other shortages that were breaking the supply chain because people didn't know how to react. They made these decisions because they were afraid. They didn't want to be the person responsible for the COVID genocide, right? Just wiping people out and doing their thing. So I get it when people got there. Now, when people were down and out, then you had the stimulus that came in with unemployment and under Trump, and that was carried forward by Biden. And I have this other stimulus here, things like this. And people were staying home and working. Quick little story. There was a time when I owned a mortgage company. And I hired a great president, good guy. He was high energy, just a mover and a shaker, making things happen. This is at the, about the time, just just as the bubble was really cranking, right? People were doing lots of mortgages, refinancing their houses. Our mortgage professionals were doing fantastic. They were doing anything from 8 to 15 loans a month. And many of these people were professionals before, right? It wasn't like we brought people that just came into the industry to make a few bucks. They had been in this industry for 20 plus years. So they knew how to hustle to get a loan, right? And so here comes this anomaly, puts everybody on cloud nine. They're making money, put it in the bank, do whatever, and people are moving along. So the bubble pops, right? I sold the company right before it popped, okay? So I got lucky. It just started feeling because the volume started to change. People that were doing eight, 10 loans a month were doing two, maybe one, in some cases, none. And these are professionals again. So it started to feel weird. The president was trying hard to like change behavior and get more loans going. It just wasn't happening. So I sold the company. He actually took over the company and we we moved down this path, right? And so I watched what happens and, he, and I, pro, I said to him, this is likely going to happen. And he said, no, 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 we'll, we'll turn it around. Well, he wasn't able to turn it around. He was able to maintain the business and what have you. But many of these people actually got out of the industry. Now, these were 20 plus year professionals that were doing it and, and they were there. But what had happened was they forgot how to hustle, right? Everything was being spoon fed to them. And as soon as the market, this, this crazy anomaly happened and it went away, they forgot how to hustle. How do you get out to developers and try to tell them why you're the greatest loan professional in the world? How do you get to individuals? How do you do knock on doors or you're doing mailers or you're doing things online or whatever to try to promote your business? They forgot cold calls, referrals, asking clients that you have for referrals. They, these are all things that are staples of the industry. They just forgot. They became dormant. They just sat there and looked at the computer screen. And I'm, and I'm not exaggerating, okay? So what happened is they had been conditioned to, to just be spoon-fed, right, to be handed the deals. They forgot how to do it. They, before, they were conditioned because they were hustled. They were hustle, 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 get the jobs, get the, get the loans, do whatever. They forgot how to do that. Now, I think in this, in this world that we live in today, people forgot how to work. When you're getting unemployment and you're getting multiples of unemployment just handed to you, you go to work and you make less than what you get on unemployment, where's the incentive to do it? Trade your time for money or just sit at home and play video games and hang out or just do what you want to do with your family. Okay, that was really it. And then what happens is when these benefits started to go away, people are like, Whoa, what do we do? We're still wildly unemployed. So here's some headlines on a couple different sites. Employers are rolling out the red carpet for job seekers. I was in Michigan a few weeks ago driving by Applebee's and there's a $500 bonus for applying for the job. At Applebee's, okay, applying. They didn't say, hey, when you get hired, we're going to give you 500 bucks. They're saying, 
come in and apply. We'll give you 500 bucks. So they're just trying to get people in there to try to see who they possibly can. They probably had a filter and they probably changed your policy a little bit. But my gosh, you know, that is if you're a qualified applicant and you go in there, you're getting paid. Listen to this other headline. Older workers are unretiring after leaving amid COVID. So they were freaked out whenever they retired and they're coming back. So what's happening is we have this vacuum. You see what's happening in um, like American Airlines is a good example. We saw what happened with their debacle. Part of it was their baggage guys. They just they don't have them. If you go fly American and you come back to Arizona, at least this is my experience a couple weeks ago or a week ago, you have to stand and wait for bags to come for a very, very, very long time because they do not have the support. I was in Las Vegas for an event, and there was somebody that was polluting our entire floor with smoke, okay? And I went down to ask the reception, and the reception said to me, look, I feel you. I'm with you. We don't have anybody to go upstairs security-wise to enforce this. We're so short-handed we can't do it. They're just so the service industry is impacted. You have law enforcement's impacted. You have all of these different elements that are being impacted, and they're doing what they possibly can to get people back to work. And so we have to remind people that it's okay to trade time for money. But again, this is a, there's a book by uh, Frederick Bastiat. It's called The Law. And if you read this book, they will talk about how this is one of the paths to socialism is that people, they, it's, they, he talks about pain and he talks about plunder. Plunder is not like smashing a brick through a window and grabbing a TV. This type of plunder is on the take, right? Government says, here's some money, stay home, do whatever you're going to do, and you do it. Well, there's no pain there because you're not trading your time for money. You're not away from your family. You're not feeling the impacts of going to work, Right. You just you just wake up and there it is. Okay, that's easy. And most people, even hardworking people, will migrate to plunder if it's available. Right. Like the subsidies with Obamacare and things like that. A lot of people said they would never take the subsidies. I know they're taking them today. Then you turn the corner and then he talks about pain. Now, pain is trading time for money. Waking up, being a contributor, doing what you possibly can to make it happen. Right. To, to put bread on your table and be honorable in the way you earn your money. And do it. Okay. So you look at these two bodies, the pain and plunder, and that's what he says is the migration. People will migrate to plunder because it feels better. And if it's there, how many people have you heard say, well, if they're giving that tax credit for that, I might as well just take it. I pay my taxes. Well, yep, you do. But were your taxes being paid to give you that money back or not? And so thinking about social engineering and what the progressives do, the big picture, all of this is intentional in a number of different ways. The more dependent you become on government, the more they are going to run your lives. You may say big government sucks. The reality is they will suck the life out of you if you let them and they will control it. So, again, all these elements are pointing to the same outcome, and that is government control of your life. And that's why we fight hard to have the best outcome. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. Hope you're doing fantastic, and hopefully the day is going well. Some of you are about to head out for work. Some of you have already out of work, and maybe some of you are working from home. And thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. We get to a point where we've kind of rolled out this whole government control dynamic here. The bottom line is we've got this election coming up in the midterm. And you've got to ask yourself, what outcome do you want? Do you want the Republicans to regain the control of the House? Amen. 
Do you want to get a stronger Senate base, more conservative base in our U.S. Senate? Amen. And do what we can. If we can get if we can maintain and control and grow our Senate majority, then what happens, it puts a great damper on what the the kind of rough shot that the Democrats are doing to us right now. Look, things would have been different in this in this one point trillion dollar package that came out, this bipartisan package with a bunch of squishy Republicans. The reality is we want to have as much strength and we want to have as much capacity as we possibly can. Right here in Arizona, we've got elections going on. You have Mark Kelly that won in a special election, Democrat, and he is the Biden's minion, right? You don't hear much from him. You don't see any public disposition for him. Quite honestly, he's not the the most articulate guy. He's an angry guy. He looks like an angry guy in his pictures. And he is not doing anything to really facilitate a great outcome for Arizonans. And so you have a challenge that's happening in this Senate election. Republicans have a primary, right? They cleared the field for that guy. But the Republicans have a primary. And, and one of the candidates that we have we'll hear from next hour is Jim Lehman. Jim Lehman is the founder and CEO of a company called Depcom. And let me tell you something. From scratch, no debt. This guy built a billion-dollar company off of initiative, hard work, and pressing hard. He's talking about a lean-into-it personality. He feels the sense of urgency. He feels like you have to defend our country. And you listen to him and you believe him. The reality is we have so much policy, but we need people to have the courage to lean into it. Look, you can have the best chalkboard game in the world. You can make all the promises under the sun as a candidate, but if you do nothing with it, it's brutal. And when you start looking at the U.S. Senate with 100 members, you start looking at our Congress, people say, oh, you're just one of many voices. Well, if the voice is loud enough, it'll be heard. If you take a leadership disposition, it'll be heard. So anybody that we consider to be elected in Congress or in our U.S. Senate we need leadership. And so you try to look for that definition in the people that run. And one of the things in the private sector world, people take risk. They put initiative. They put plans together. They put their dollars where their bucks are, and they reward people. This company, Depcom, is pretty remarkable. I've done the research myself. Quite honestly, I've worked with Jim on a number of different things, and, and I'm helping him on this campaign. But I wanted to get him on because you have to hear real leadership. And again, it, it's about hearing and making sure that the outcomes are what we want. You want a fighter? You got to find a fighter. If you want to win, you got to find a fighter that's not afraid to get punched and not willing to deliver it back and, and is not afraid to deliver it back. Again, this is Robert Graham. We come back from the break. If you haven't met Jim Lehman, if the name is new to you, you're going to hear from him in just a few minutes. We'll be right back after the break. Thanks.